You're listening to the Vineyard Milwaukee podcast. For more information about Vineyard Milwaukee, go to vineyardmilwaukee.com. Now here's our podcast. Celebrating that we're concluding this, right? The never-ending sermon series. I could keep going, actually. There's so much in it. Um, But we are wrapping it up today. If you've been with us through the whole thing, there's been a wealth of wisdom and... um, Revelation, and I hope that it's blessed you. We are wrapping it up today. We're on the final chapter of the book of Jonah. But um, just before I move on, I do want to once again just highlight, if you want to join us for this, if you don't have a plan to kind of prepare your heart for Easter, why not make it easy and just join us in what we're doing? Dave and I will ourselves be going through this daily, and it does start like the first devotion starts this coming Wednesday, which is actually Ash Wednesday. So you've got a few days. Um, you can look it up on Amazon. You can buy it from the author if you, you know, don't like to buy from Amazon. Like Joanne said, you can get it used. Um, if for some reason you have any issues, throw me 10 bucks, and I'm happy to order you a copy. But get it before Wednesday so you are ready to start with us. And I, I, think, um, I think you will find it meaningful. It's... Um, it's a very sort of contemplative, reflective journal. It's very well done, and we'll be pulling our sermons from this basic concept through the book of John. And so then you can kind of be part of what we're doing as a whole community. So I recommend that. Well, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm just going to pray for us real quick before we dive in. Uh, Lord, I'm grateful for so many things today, and I just feel... Um, I just really, we just collectively offer our gratitude towards you for who you are and all the ways that you love us and serve us and bless us. And Lord, I pray that you would broaden and deepen our capacity to love you. In Jesus' name, I pray you put power in this message. Amen. So when we first moved to Milwaukee, many of you guys know that I taught fifth grade And the following year, I started a a youth group out out of that kind of classroom and then a bunch of my older son's friends. So it was kind of like a a middle, uh, basically a middle school youth group, predominantly sixth graders, which is a lot of fun. And um, several of my kids were actually first-generation immigrants to our country. And I found out later that some of them had actually been refugees. And... I didn't know a ton about their story, but one, two of the kids that came, they, their families had met actually at a refugee camp. And one day we were having our youth group, played a bunch of games, did all the stuff you do with middle school kids, and then we were kind of sitting around in smaller groups to pray. And I was trying to teach the kids a little bit how to, like, get quiet and listen to, you know, before you dive in to pray. And as we were sitting there, I sensed the Lord telling me that there was somebody in the group struggling with nightmares. And so I just said, hey, are any of you, I feel like God's saying that, that, that some of you or maybe one of you is struggling with nightmares. And one of the girls just started sobbing. And she went on to say that while they were in the refugee camp, at night they would actually hear bombs going off so close that the little girl feared that they would actually be blown up, like while she's sleeping in a refugee camp with her family. And that trauma had not left her, and she was having nightmares about this. And 
Uh, the other little girl who had also, they had met in the refugee camp, also started getting emotional. And so we had an opportunity to pray for them and pray for God to bring healing to their trauma and, and to their nightmares. And, you know, it was obviously outside my realm of um, experience to know what that's like, <laughs> to actually, like, be a refugee where you're finding refuge in a shelter away from war, which is what it means when you're a refugee, usually you're, you're leaving something dangerous, and to be so close to it, and your shelter is actually this makeshift kind of tent home places. And I'm quite sure that there's probably no one in this room today that has had that kind of experience of having to take shelter from an actual, actual bombs going off. But certainly, I would say... Many of us, maybe all of us, have had seasons or experiences that feel rather overwhelming or scary or felt like we were in a war zone of sorts, either inside ourselves or outside ourselves, and we needed shelter. And so today, as we kind of close our time with Jonah, we're going to be looking at kind of a strange uh, moment with Jonah where he experiences some shelter, and God has this interaction with him around this place of shelter, and kind of talk about what it reveals to us about, about the person of God, the character of God, who God is in our lives. And so today I'm going to, just going to read the very end of chapter 3, just so you kind of know where we are. And then we're going to just go through chapter 4 together, and I'm just going to kind of, as we read through it, just make a few comments about what's happening here, and then we're going to just kind of close our time with um, who God is in this book of Jonah, what he revealed to us about who he is. So in case you're brand new to the Bible or you've just kind of, you know, you've stumbled, you stumbled, you haven't like been tracking with us the whole time, you don't know the whole story of Jonah, we're at the very end where Jonah was trying to escape a call in his life. He tried to flee God in a ship. A big storm came. They got thrown overboard. A big fish swallows him. He has this repentive experience of the fish. The fish spits him out on dry land. He fulfills his call and delivers um, a message to the city of Nineveh that God was going to bring judgment on. And the Ninevites repent. And so God relents, changes his mind, and does not bring judgment on them, does not destroy them. And so... Jonah, though, is not happy about this because although Jonah was, did fulfill his call, he really didn't want God to show mercy to the Ninevites because they were his enemy. And so at the end of chapter 3, it says, when God saw what they did, meaning the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So that's the end of chapter 3, and now we're going to pick up in chapter 4. It says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And so once again, we see Jonah's hard heart surfacing here. Somehow, he does not want to offer the same mercy, 
the same compassion, the same forgiveness toward Nineveh that God is offering him. I'm wondering if you ever struggle with this. You're okay with receiving God's mercy, his forgiveness, his grace for yourself, but you struggle with offering it so easily to those who have hurt you. I know I struggle with this. You're in good company if you do. But the Lord replied in verse 4, Is it right for you to be so angry? And so even still, God, out of his mercy for Jonah, continues to meet him. Continues, Jonah, who's up here on this hill, sulking, stubborn, angry that God is compassionate, merciful. God is still being tender toward Jonah. He's still wooing him. He's he's still trying to teach him. He's still trying to soften his heart. It says in chapter 5, Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. So we see a couple things happening here. Jonah is consistent with his mode of operation. Right? He's trying to take care of himself. In the very beginning, he tries to flee to Tarshish, which I said was like a pseudo-Eden, where people try to bankroll their, and make their own like personal Eden for themselves. And so here he is again. He constructs himself his own shelter. He builds a covering for himself. But then God provides his own little Eden gift, okay? A real shade, a plant that he is actually using to deliver him from his own distorted view of the world. So so God is actually like showing up and trying to use his own covering to teach Jonah something, using as a vehicle to shape his heart. But does this work? Is Jonah a new creation? Has his heart of stone become a heart of flesh? No. He is still a man caved in on himself. He's still holding grudges. He's still stubborn. His world is very small and self-centered. So again, out of God's mercy, what does God do? It says, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Now, if you're wondering what all this is about, like why is this worm eating the plant, if your imagination is like mine, I was taken back to like that Very Hungry Caterpillar book. Any of you guys remember that? And at the end, there's like a little worm or caterpillar that eats through the green leafy plant to settle his stomach. Anyway, that's not what's happening here. Um, The author of Jonah is actually connecting us, as he did through this whole thing, or she did, um, to other places in the Hebrew scriptures where worms appear. So, for example, Deuteronomy 39 says, You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes because the worms will eat them. And if you're familiar with the whole story of the Israelites, going out into the desert and grumbling because they were hungry. And so God sent what was called manna, which was bread from heaven. Every day they would wake up and there would be bread out that they could gather and eat. And he made it very clear, only take enough for the day. You need to trust me that every day I'll give you what you need. Don't gather up and store for yourself out of the scarcity mentality. There's not going to be enough for you. It's just like when Jesus later teaches us to pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread. He's for sure referring to this. 
trust me that I am enough for you for today. I will provide enough. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Trust me for today, for provision. But a lot of the Israelites did not, like a lot of us do not. And so they gathered more manna than they needed. What happened? Worms showed up in their manna, the ones that stored up too much and began to eat it. And so in this, uh, worms eating things are about a lack of trust and a lack of gratitude. I'm not grateful for what you've provided. I'm not trusting that you're going to keep providing. And so that's what's happening, right? So here you've got Jonah sitting out here. He tries to make himself his own shelter because that's what we all try to do. We try to make our own lives, right? God gives us gifts that are meant to point to him. So God gives him this leafy plant, but he is not nor grateful. He's not trusting God. He's not changing. And so God's actually even going to use this gift itself to bring change to Jonah's heart. And so he sends a worm to eat it. And so it says in verse 4, I mean in verse 10 rather, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Oh, did I skip something? Yes, skip verse 9, sorry. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be so angry about this plant? It is, he said, I'm so angry I wish we were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is such a great ending. I love this ending. Because God has the last word here. And his word is to Jonah, but it's to us also. You are moved deeply by things close to your heart, even things that you were just given, that were just given to you by grace. And yet you're not moved by the city full of my image bearers that I love that cannot tell their right hand from their left. This would have been language from the Torah if you're wondering what he meant by the right hand from the left. So this is like wisdom literature where they would often talk about the Torah is to teach us the straight way, to not turn to the left or the right. And so for those living under the new covenant, through the blood of Jesus, God might say, should I not have concern for the great city of Milwaukee, where there are thousands of people who do not have the indwelling Holy Spirit guiding them and protecting them and anchoring them, and also many animals? which seems really funny, but I think the whole point is that God is pointing to the full extent of his restoration plan for the whole planet. He loves his whole creation. And certainly here in Jonah in the Hebrew scriptures, this is written by Hebrew who's under the covenant. He is revealing how wide and how far-reaching God's mercy is extending to the nations. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also so many animals? Our worlds can become really small, especially when we're hurting. We can easily turn inward when we become fearful or anxious about our own little worlds, and then we can hoard and shut out and withdraw 
And yet God here is simultaneously attempting to save Jonah from himself and save this great city that he loves. And one of the ways he's attempting to save Jonah is to get Jonah to share in God's burden for the city that he loves. That's actually part of Jonah's healing and salvation. And so throughout this series, we've been talking a lot about Jonah and what Jonah shows us about ourselves and how his life might reflect some things about ourselves and about the condition of our own hearts. But I want to kind of wrap up this book of Jonah today and this whole study on what this reveals about God. And so the most consistent theme throughout the book of Jonah is God's mercy. We see God's mercy toward the sailors who give their lives to him when they see him show up in power. We see God's mercy extend toward Nineveh, whom he could have just destroyed for their wickedness, but instead he sends a prophet to warn them. And then when that prophet tries to dodge the call, God doesn't give up and say, well, I tried, but he makes sure that Nineveh was given a chance. And then we see God's mercy extend toward them when they repent by withholding judgment, by meeting them where they are. And then we see God's mercy extend toward Jonah. Jonah tries to flee from God, and God sends a storm and a fish. God takes him to the depths. We like to call it rock bottom until Jonah repents. And then God restores Jonah to his calling. And even then, Jonah turns away and folds in on himself. And God continues to be tender toward him, to try to get through to him in any way possible. And one of the ways God tries to get through to him is by taking away Jonah's shade. It says, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And then Jonah experiences the heat of the sun, and it says a scorching east wind. Now, the best interpretation for actually that term scorching in the original text is actually silent. It's actually a silent wind. God is silent. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said it would be better for me to die than to live. How is this God's mercy? Taking away something we depended on, allowing us to bake under the heat of our own self-centeredness, and then staying silent? Ouch. Have you ever had a similar experience? It does not feel like mercy. So why would God do this? Because Yahweh is your shade. And if you try to find shelter under anything other than Yahweh, you will inevitably cave in on yourself. And when you are under the heat, crying out to a silent God, the truth of who you are and how desperately you need God to redeem you, to heal you, to save you, rises to the surface. And there you will discover that no spouse, no friend, no pastor, no church, no therapist, no inspirational quote from Twitter, no plant will be enough to shade you. They can only go so far as to point you to Yahweh as your shade. says in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. The Lord does not provide shade. The Lord is your shade. The Lord is your shelter. The Lord is your refuge. The Lord is your covering. And how does he ultimately cover you? He covers you with his own body in the person of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are literally under the new covenant, which means you are covered by the blood of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to point you to the way. I'm going to point you to the truth. I'm going to point you to the life. He said, I am the way. I, my body, my person is the truth. I am the life. Just like the Israelites cover their door frames with the blood of a spotless lamb to be protected, you are covered in a way that has profound implications for your life now and for all eternity. The world is a vulnerable place, and we are vulnerable creatures. There is nothing else you can depend on to shade you, to shelter you, to cover you than the actual person of Jesus. You are safe there. You are secure there. All salvation, all healing, all restoration is found there. All peace, all joy, all freedom is found there. All mercy, all compassion, all love is found there. Yahweh is your shade. I want to close our time reading one of my favorite psalms that I used to read with Caleb every night because he and I are both sensitive just sensitive creatures, and he would have nightmares or possibly even interferences at night. And so uh, I would read this with him until we practically had it memorized. And so I, I just invite you maybe to close your eyes and, and just let it speak to you. This is Psalm 91. I actually changed my mind. Do I have the, a slide for this? Yeah, I actually want us to read this together. Um. So we're going to pull it up and read it together. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. 
For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Milwaukee podcast. For more information, go to vineyardmilwaukee.com.